November 28th. Jeez, we're almost into December. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and more. Hello, Wes. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm well, and and thought I'd hold this off until Tuesday's show. Uh, because we could have talked about this on Monday, but there's a game on Monday, so lots of other things and to an focus e-bug. on. And an e-bug on Monday. Um, now the Flames are 22 games into their season. 2-1 overtime win over the Vegas Golden Knights on Monday, which means the Flames are now officially past the quarter mark. They actually passed the quarter mark sometime on Saturday in the game against Colorado. But for all intents and purposes and for the sake of this conversation, uh... Let's evaluate where they are a quarter of the way through the season. 9-10-3. They sit tied for the final wildcard spot in the Western Conference on points. Since a 2-7-1 start, Flames are 7-3-2 over a 12-game stretch. That's a 667 points percentage over a 12-game stretch. They do that in the next 60. Yeah, they'll be a playoff team fairly easily. Um, whether or not they do that remains to be seen. And there's a lot of questions that we can't answer that will determine or potentially determine whether or not they'll be able to do that. Um, but yeah, as we sit here more than a quarter of the way through the season, before we get into some of the specifics, by the way, text line open at 960-960 if you're listening live. Would uh, love to hear you and get your thoughts on where they are. But how would you how would you evaluate it? How would you encapsulate the first quarter of the season? If I were to say, hey, well, what do you think of the first quarter of Calgary season? What would your kind of overall statement be? You know, I was asked this by someone earlier today, and sort of the best I could come up with is by virtue of a, a really bad start and then a really good stretch, I think they've wound up at least for now, right where we sort of anticipated, which was in that wild card mix. It's just that the inconsistency in getting there makes it tough to analyze, I think, the first quarter of this team, or or maybe not tough to analyze, but tough to draw conclusions. You know, were the were the flames as bad as they looked in that six game losing skid? Well, I don't think so. And I'm not sure I thought so at the time. And and now Hindsight being what it is, it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, they weren't that bad. Now, are they as good as a team that's gone 7-3-2 and two in spite of a rotten power play in their past 12? I, I don't know. I think it's too early to completely throw out that first 10 games as if it didn't happen. I, I know, you know, I, I chatted with Nazem Kadri a few days or, or several days ago, and he thought a big part of the turnaround was just needing some time to settle into Ryan Huska's systems to, to kind of get accustomed to the new scheme or, or the new structure, the way they're doing things at the saddle dome. It's just, you know, it's hard for me to forget that that first stretch happened. And yet that makes it sort of hard to figure out exactly how I feel yeah. about this team at the quarter mark. Does that, 
Does that make any Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. I think it's very fair. Um, I would uh, I would suggest the way I would evaluate the first quarter of this year would be I, I think the first 22 games as a whole have been disappointing because they're a below 500 team. They're 22 games into the season. They're below 500. My expectations were higher than that internally expectations were much higher than that. So I think the first quarter of the season has been disappointing, but with the caveat that it's pointed in the right direction and they they've been able to make it so that they come out of the first quarter of the season in a much better light. They come out of the first quarter of the season with the potential to build on some things that they have uh, accomplished here over the last 10 or 12 games. So I would say first 22 games, disappointing because when you're a below 500 team in the 2023 NHL, it's, it's tough to say you're a good team and, and it's tough to say that you are where you want to be um, because 500 and below is death in this league. And I know that there are teams sitting in playoff spots right now, like the Calgary flames or the Seattle Kraken who are tied for a spot or the Nashville predators, who I believe would be that playoff team on points percentage. Uh, all those teams are below 500 and there are teams in um, there are teams in contention that are well below 500. Only in the Western Conference, Eastern Conference, everybody's sitting in a playoff spot's well above the 500 mark. But in the Western Conference, you've got uh, Calgary, Seattle, um, Nashville has gotten to 500. Um, but Anaheim's in the mix, and Edmonton's in the mix, and all these teams are below the 500 mark. So that I do believe is death still in this league. So for me to classify it as a good quarter would just be disingenuous. But I I think that that caveat's important that they started to point the compass in a positive direction. And that's important because I don't know if the first half of the first quarter, you could have seen that coming. So we'll see what this, you know, Peter Marr always used to say, second quarter of your season is is when you really learn about uh, what the what what your group is. Well, let's see what the second quarter of the season holds for the Flames. Kind of got going with a nice 2-1 win over Vegas on Monday night. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Like the, it really depends what sort of lens you're you're trying to assess this through in the the sense of, you know, if you go back to maybe what the expectations internally and and I'd say externally were on October 10th, the day, you know, the eve of the season opener, I think if you if you told the Calgary Flames on that day, well, you'd be nine, 10 and three. They'd tell you exactly what you just said, that they'd be really disappointed with yeah. that. And yet if you go back to October 29th, as they boarded the bus at Commonwealth stadium and left after losing the heritage classic, if you told them that night, well, come the end of November or come four weeks from now, you'll be nine, 10 and three. I think they would have taken it in a heartbeat. They'd have to. Right. And so that makes it, I yeah. guess it depends how far you want to go back. Like what the expectations were, I guess, set. And then in a lot of ways they were reset. And now I'm not sure where they should properly be set. Yeah. Because of how topsy turvy. It's been weird, right? Now. Yeah, it has It's been. been weird to have that bad a start and uh, then to rebound with the record they have. Um, yeah, it, it has been weird. And I, I, I will say that I think, Part of part of what we've seen is a team that's gotten more comfortable playing uh, some uh, uh, slightly different, or in some ways, you know, there's there's been some large differences for with what this team or how this team has played. Yeah, 
because I guess the way I'm I'm coming at it is, had you told me that they're going to be nine, ten, and three through twenty two games, I would have said, yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah, but the way they've gotten there has made it so that maybe you're feeling, you know, recency bias makes you feel a little less disappointed about where they are. What what sort of numbers would have not been disappointing for you? I, I think, I don't know. Like if, if, they, you, if you could bump to 12 and 10 or so, would you have been? If they were, if they were in a situation where they weren't, like I, I would like to see them, especially at this stage of the season. I would have liked to see them a little bit more in the mix for a Pacific Division playoff spot. Sure, you know, like they're they're four games back of Vancouver. They're like five games or six games back of Los Angeles and and Vegas. So I would have liked to see them in that mix a little bit more. That would have that would have been what I would have you know that, that's what I would have put them in a check mark category. Now if they're there at game forty one, then yeah, I think that I would give the second quarter a check mark if they're able to make up some more of that ground and put themselves uh, put themselves in that mix. Yeah, and that's a combo, right? I, I think the the Pacific Division picture is a combination of the Flames being a little bit behind the pace that you're talking about. And the Vancouver Canucks and Los Angeles Kings kind of coming out like rocket ships, right? The somewhere the the answer is somewhere in the middle here in in the sense of kudos to the Kings and Canucks, especially. I think the Golden Knights are are where we anticipated they would be. Kudos to the Kings and Canucks for what they've done in the first quarter of the season. Now the Calgary Flames do have some catching up to do. Yeah, they do, and I mean. They may not be able to make up that ground, and they may be looking at a wild card spot if they're going to make the playoffs. But okay, yep. so what have we? And and to this this probably dovetails on the initial question. But what have we learned about this team? What have we learned through twenty two games? What are some of our takeaways? And what are some of the things that we think we know about this team? Well, what we've worked. What we've learned, especially of late, is not to turn the TV off going into the third period. Uh, th- this group, and we've talked about it plenty, this group deserves full marks for its resilience and, and the sort of character it's shown in, in these come-from-behind victories with last night's 2-1 overtime victory against the Vegas Golden Knights being just the latest, but perhaps maybe the best example of some of that stick-with-it that we've seen from this group. I think we've learned, and I know we'll get into the individual stuff, but as I kind of go through my list of preseason questions, I I think we've learned that Jacob Markstrom was ready to bounce back, Mm -hmm. as he said he planned to. I think the jury is very much still out on Jonathan Huberto in terms of what a a bounce back would look like. Uh, And I think we've learned that the dark cloud that is the pending unrestricted free agents is probably going to hover above this team right up until the March 8th trade deadline. Yep. And I'm sure I'm missing some things we've learned, but hopefully I left a couple for you. Well, the one I, I think the one that is the easiest one is to point to the resilience and, and their ability to uh, erase deficits and stay in games and stick with it. Even in some of the games they've lost. I mean, to take a look at the Colorado game. I know they end up losing three, one, but they pushed hard and they, they made it two one. And then the bad goal makes it three, one couple seconds later. But even in that third period, 
and and Colorado played a good third period as a home team protecting a lead on their second half of a back-to-back, but the Flames pushed and, and didn't go away. Didn't get the result that, that night, but didn't go away. And then obviously Vegas and Dallas, they came back. And and so um, I more often than not, especially during this 12-game stretch, they've been that team. And I don't know, there's only been one or two of the losses in that mix where you've been like, eh... Not a lot of resilience there. Like, we didn't see it a lot in the Nashville game. That was a stinker. But more often than not, they've been a team that you go to the third period and say, no, they're still playing hard, and they've got a chance in this thing. And so I give them a lot of credit because what I think they would like to do is the final three quarters of the season get going is they'd like to be in that situation less. They'd like to rely on that less. But they're going to be in situations in their final 60 games where they find themselves trailing after 20 or trailing late in the second or trailing in the third period. So that's a nice piece of belief to build up in the early stages. And if they end up making to the playoffs, it's, it's a nice piece of belief to have that, you know, that if you stick with it, you give yourself a chance. Cause that's the biggest thing that allows you to have playoff success. And at some point, and this is why the U S Thanksgiving stat, I think has been held in such high regard or high importance for as long as it has, you know, at some point sort of the surprise stories or, or the storylines that aren't quite what you were expecting at the start of the season, at some point those become trends. And at some point, that just becomes what a team is. And so I do think that the comebacks are important, both in the sense of the Flames proving to themselves they can do it, but in a lot of ways, they're on track to becoming a team that other teams know you can't yeah. count out. But but why it's so difficult to draw conclusions on this team at 22 games is that it was one team for 10 games and it's been one team for 12. Because during that 10 game stretch. And especially in the six consecutive losses, there wasn't a lot of resilience to speak of at all. That was a team that that would have a five minute mental lapse or a a five minute defensive breakdown or whatever you want to call it. And then the game would be over. Yep. And this is why at this point in the season and makes for great debate. And I love the way you frame the question. I'd love for people to weigh in on the text line. Like what have we learned about these flames that, this is the time of season where it's fair to start asking. Yep. I I just think with this year's edition, it's really tough to answer. The other thing that I, I agree, the other thing that I, I think that I would put down is I've learned and I'm I'm quite aware of going forward is we 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 had a pretty good idea of this even going back to last season, but I think we know beyond a shadow of a doubt this team will have success by being a balanced team that relies on depth. And so during the that first 10-game stretch, during that six-game skid, you know, it was tough to be a deep team because you did not have a lot of your top players going. Their top players are not top 10 players. They are good players. They're, they, they can be really good players, but they don't have that elite player as it stands right now. And so they need numerous of their top players going at the same time for their depth to be an advantage. And that wasn't the case in their first 10 games. I think it has been more of the case here of the last little bit. Kadri's game has has turned a corner, and I give Nazem a ton of credit for what he's done 
basically since November 1st or so. The month of November, I think he has been by far, not by far, but but very, very noticeably Calgary's best and most consistent player. And, you know, having Elias Lindholm's game over the last little bit trend in a better direction and Huberto's game trend in a better direction. These are things that allow the team to have a depth advantage sometimes and make them a more difficult team to play against. And Rasmus Anderson's play after the dip following the suspension has gotten back to where it needs to be. So now you've got two top pairings that you can rely on. Hannafin's game's been solid. Uyghur's been a difference maker. We know, you know, um, we, we, we hope that Tanev's face is okay. Yeah. Uh, which cool. sounds like it's going to be uh, not serious. So that's good news. But, you know, the, so the, their, their way of having success is going to be being deep, getting offensive contributions from everywhere. Look who scored their two goals against Vegas. A.J. Greer and Mackenzie Wieger. They're not going to have Jonathan Huberto or Elias Lindholm or Nazem Kadri be the guy clearly every night. It's going to come from different spots. So if they have a really if they have a really successful final three quarters, they're probably going to have, you know, four guys at 55 to 70 points and maybe two guys flirting with 70 points. That's kind of more the way it's going to be. And they're going to have to be, they're going to need the Blake Coleman's and the Connor Zaries and Michael Backlund's and players like that to really add a secondary offensive punch. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of the recipe we've seen for the, the individual wins. And I would say, especially for the comeback wins, right? Like, AJ Greer last night is the guy who steps up and yep. and scores the game tying goal. Mackenzie Weger, who suddenly is one off the team lead with five goals, one more than he scored all of last season, is the hero in overtime. This is going to be a group that, and I know people are sick of hearkening back to the Johnny and Matthew Kachuk days, but when they had those two players, it was pretty clear when the team needed goal who everyone on the bench was looking to. They don't have that guy now. They have guys who want to be that guy. They have guys who might grow in, into getting closer to being that guy. But at this point, it has to be a collective effort. Or And, and there are going to be. We talked about it last season when Tyler Toffoli was their top threat. There's going to be nights where they get a bunch of chances and nothing falls. Because they don't have that pure finisher. Yep. But... To their credit, especially in this recent run, they have done a really good job of, of finding those contributions from throughout the lineup. I think that they, uh, I think that they are any closer to making a definitive decision on their direction after the first quarter because that one I think is a big fat no. I I don't think that they're ready to start full scale trading guys right now. But I also don't think just because the 12 games have been better than the first 10 that Craig Conroy and co are saying, nope, we're back on, we're signing everybody. I, I, I don't think that they are definitive in that part by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, quite a ways from definitive. I mean, if the question is, are they closer to coming up with a definitive direction? The only way that they're closer is that they're six weeks closer to the trade deadline than they were, than the they were the at the start of the yeah. season or seven weeks closer, right? But, um, and I do think the the fact that the Noah Hannafin situation did not evolve into an extension, I think puts them a little bit closer on, on 
I think they're closer on a couple players. I, I think they know that Noah Hannafin and Nikita Zadorov, at least the sense I get, is they know that those guys are soon enough going to be playing elsewhere. But what does the big picture pivot look like? I, I don't think they are definitive on it. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Because... We've been waiting for a hundred plus games for this current core to kind of give us a hint of what they are. Well, they'd sure like if this past 10 was, was the hint that this group has, has maybe started to gel a little bit, yeah. that they found something and yeah, it's not March. So you can see how it plays out a little longer. I want to leave some time for the text line here at nine sixty nine sixty. So what about some of the concerns? What are, um, what if, if there was one or two concerns that you would circle in bold, what would they be? Well, I saw the concerned look on your face when I was using the calculator function yeah. on my phone earlier. Well, I just know whenever I'm using a calculator that simple additions involved. So. Yeah, it can be pretty uh, nerve wracking. I was just I was just crunching the numbers on Jonathan Huberto's pace, which as of today is 15 goals and 48 points this season. And that's one of my big concerns, just because it continues to raise the question of not only what Jonathan Huberto can be for this team this season, but what he can be for the entirety of an eight-year, $84 million contract extension. At, at some point, and I, I'm sure that this keeps people awake at night at the Saddle Dome, at some point, you have to wonder if Jonathan Huberto is settling into becoming a completely different player than was advertised when he arrived in Calgary. And despite saying it, and I would even go as far as to say doing the right things in the summer, you know, he worked quite extensively with a sports psychologist in, in Montreal who has a lot of training with uh, Olympic athletes yeah. or, or a lot of experience. Um, in helping prepare athletes for the Olympics. You know, he, he came back, I, I think, oozing confidence. I, I don't think that was a, I don't think that was an act. I, I really think he had done what he needed to do over the summer to rebuild his confidence. I, I think the organization with Jonathan in mind made a, a substantial change behind the bench. I just think there were a lot of things that should have added up to Jonathan Huberto looking like a different player than he was in his first season with the Flames. And for him to be on pace for actually slightly less production mm -hmm. than last season has to be the biggest concern. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then related to that, the power plays continued scuffling would be one. Maybe it's a little step forward against Vegas, I thought, but... Still over, yeah. Uh, and they didn't really make Aiden Hill work on the power play until overtime. Well, and we we talked on, and I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but no, we we talked that's on. All there, that's all I had. We talked on Flames Talk yesterday about you know the one thing that could really do wonders for this power play is to get an opportunity with the game on the line and actually take advantage of it. Well, that power play started with what 48 seconds left. 55, 55 I believe. seconds yeah. left last night. So let's call it roughly a minute in regulation and a minute in overtime. Now, four on three is not something you've practiced to the same extent, but that's still like, that's a power play to win the game. Yeah. And 
if Mackenzie Weger doesn't score with 4.8 seconds left, and if the Calgary Flames ultimately lose in a shootout, we're sitting we're here today banging on the table, yep. talking about how the power play let them down. Yep. And so, absolutely, I think that has to be a major concern. Um, read a few texts at 960-960 because I uh, want to make sure that we uh, get you involved in this one if you're listening live. So, uh, starting here. Definitely is not smart or prudent anymore to sign Lindholm, an apparent 65-ish point player to an anchor contract. You've got Kadri and Backlund, Zeri's a natural center, Hanzek's a center, Pospisil, Ruzicka, centers. They have so many centers, they move them to the wing. The time is now to get a haul for Lindholm. Signing him to a big-term contract would be a huge mistake. Um, this says, could this have been a worse start for the Flames as far as the future is concerned? No definitive answer whether to buy in or sell, and the key players like Lindholm have not boosted their trade value so far. What I'd say to that is, A, there's 60 games left, and there's, what, I don't know, 40 games-ish until the trade deadline. I haven't done that exact math. I don't want to try. Uh, but there's 40-ish games until the trade deadline. So there's still time in that regard for them to give Craig Conroy and company a more definitive answer. And I will say... Noah Hannafin has boosted his... I don't want to say he's boosted his trade value because I think Hannafin Lindholm's, their value isn't really going to change in a trade all that much. But I think Hannafin just boosted his overall perception with the season that he's had. And, and Lindholm, his offensive struggles haven't, I don't think, hurt Calgary's trade value, but haven't helped his contract value. The, uh, the sort of devil's advocate to that point, not the point you ra raised, but the point that came in on the text line. my spot. point is inarguable. Yeah, inarguable, for sure. <laughs> I I think if you were backed into a corner as it looked like you were going to be after the start of the season, if, if Craig Conroy was suddenly the general manager of one of the NHL's worst teams and, and it was very apparent he was going to have to sell off everything that wasn't bolted down, I think you lose some leverage in those trade negotiations that way too. Yeah. And, and so I certainly understand the the line of thinking that that maybe this clouds the this sort of clouds or, or muddies the waters for Craig Conroy in terms of deciding the direction that if this team's fighting for a wild card spot, what's it look like? What pressures are coming from where to stay in the mix? What, whatever that is. And the the only thing I would say is from a pure trying to maximize the value of these unsigned pieces, I'm not sure that being a seller dweller was necessarily that that much more ideal of a situation. Fair. And that's really just the devil's advocate. I, I'm not saying that one side's wrong and the other one's right. I, I just think there's there's sort of different ways you can look at that one. Uh, Bill in Calgary, we've learned they have some young players in the system that can contribute in the NHL if put in a position to succeed. This reads, I still think this team needs to focus on the bigger long-term picture and not get distracted by recent success. If selling UFAs is the plan, no matter how good the team plays, I think you have to stick to the plan and sell high. If they continue playing well and stay in a playoff spot after that, then great. If not, it's for the greater good long-term. Um, this nothing. We haven't learned anything about these flames. They're up and down like a yo-yo. I guess we know the power play sucks. Kevin in North Haven says, I think they've learned the system. So many of their turnovers were caused by firing the puck to where a player was supposed to be, but wasn't. Now they can expect teammates to be where they're supposed to be. They look so much cleaner. This reads, we learned that Conroy didn't lie about the kids who, 
Um, this, we learned it's going to take goaltending like last night and the power play to get in gear for the Flames to have any hope. Why keep Huberto and Lindholm together on the power play? Let's mix up the personnel. Uh, this reads, the Flames are in a playoff spot now due to good goaltending and the surprising energy from the young guys. I believe they'll stick around this spot until they wrap up a playoff spot in game 79 or 80. The next four and a half months will be entertaining and exciting. This should provide happiness for Flames fans. Derek and Cochran. We've learned that Huska has been effective in steadying the ship and keeping the boys in the right headspace. I think their recent run reflects great on the coach. Uh... Ray and Calgary, I think the Flames can still challenge for a Pacific Division spot if they continue to progress with the youth. Vegas and L.A. are solid and should finish 1-2. In my opinion, Vancouver still has flaws and may come back to the pack. If Calgary can continue to build, I believe they have a chance. There's a lot of really good points in there. I, I'll i tell you which one jumped out at me the most is, is just the talk about how entertaining this team is poised to be because because yeah. I left the saddle dome last night as I have several times and said geez that was a really fun I quite it was a really that. fun game and finally from uh, Dylan in Revelstoke the Flames are in exactly the spot they shouldn't be in in my opinion not solidly in the playoffs but right in the thick of the race which really masks their actual record it gives a facade of competitiveness that doesn't exist no matter if you tell me not to worry I'm worried about the future of this franchise if they wait too long to sell off these UFAs. Dylan and Revelstoke still overthinking everything. Dil- Dylan seems stressed. Dylan does seem stressed. He was stressed on uh, post game on Monday night as well. Yeah. I just want you to be okay, Dylan. That's all. Uh, Spirit of Giving is back on Sportsnet 960. The fan, we're teaming up with the mustard seed once again, and we're asking you, our outstanding listeners, uh, during the holiday season to really help us support uh, those experiencing poverty in Calgary. So what we're looking for is donations of just everyday things, from deodorant to toothbrushes, boots, jackets, socks, things like that. Brand new things that you can pick up at a shopper's drug mart or a superstore or a Safeway or whatever. Um, go to your local Calgary co-op and, and, and you can go pick these things up. And what we want you to do is either drop them off here at our Sportsnet 960 downtown studio or to any McManus Auto Group locations. We'll collect. Then we will pass off to the mustard seed. And the mustard seed will use these donations for the next 365 days in the calendar year 2024 to make sure as many people in need have these things so if you can contribute in any way go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 for a full list of addresses and what we're looking for it's the spirit of giving with the mustard seed once again once again go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 anything and everything calgary flames it's all on flames talk sportsnet 960 the fan Time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable on this Tuesday for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Wilsey, we've been talking about the first quarter of the season, which the Flames uh, officially passed over the weekend. But, you know, there's a game on Monday, so this is the first time that uh, we can really dive in on this stuff on an off day. So we've been going through some of the stories and and some of the conversations relating to the first quarter of the season. Um, 
in a phrase, and, and Wes and I kind of dove into this a little earlier this hour to kick it off, but I'm curious as to how you would uh, evaluate in a phrase or a sentence or just as an overall statement, how would you evaluate, sum up the first 22 games of this season? Can I do two words? Sure. Noisy and resilient. It's been really noisy. I mean, I guess we should have expected that with the team going into the season with uh, all of the pending UFAs. Michael Backlund was the only big name that signed an extension prior to the start of the season. And it's left us wondering what's going to happen with Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin and Nikita Zadorov and Chris Tanev, amongst others. But those are the big four right now. So there's that. Uh, there's the Nikita Zadorov trade request. Uh, there's the suspensions, there's the two, seven and one start. There's been a lot of noise surrounding this team injuries. Uh, Yeah. Probably the loudest noise, quite frankly, has been what direction do the flames go in from here? Do they stay the course and try to fight for a playoff spot, which is what they're doing right now? Do they retool? Do they blow it up and rebuild? So there's been a lot of noise surrounding this team, but I give them a lot of credit. You can't completely block out all the noise, but I think they've done as good a job as humanly possible, just focusing on the task at hand, and that's turning their season around by winning hockey games. This group has been incredibly resilient through all of that noise and through all of the ups and downs from game to game and in-game. They've been finding ways to win. And the, the crazy thing for me, and the reason I've started calling them the find away flames 2.0 is because they have trailed in their last 11 games eight times and battled back to pick up at least a point if not two i mean to do that in eight of 11 games is remarkable so with all the the noise surrounding them i give the flames a lot of credit uh, for turning the corner playing better hockey and most importantly finding ways to win games I was excited when I saw this question to come up with some sort of phrase to encapsulate the first quarter of the season for the Calgary Flames. And I don't want to underwhelm anybody, but here's the phrase that I think best sums it up. Huh? (laughs) I like that. That's what I'm going with because I (laughs) I still don't know what to make of this group. I, I don't know how much stock to put in the six game losing skid. I I don't know how much stock to put in the run since then, especially because there's been some, some incredible comebacks there. There's been maybe the, the sort of recipe that you can't rely on over and over again. And so I'm really fascinated. You know, it's always fun to cover this group. It's never dull, but I'm totally fascinated to see where this got this goes because right now, the best I can put it is, huh? You know, Willsey, what I said to kick off the hour when when kind of encapsulating the whole 22 games we've seen. So 22 down, 60 to go. Good time to evaluate the first quarter of the season. They're 9, 10, and 3. And so when I look at it, if I, if I take myself out of the kind of here and now, and going on every game, which is hard to do because that's what we do in this industry. But if I kind of try to float above it and, and, and take myself away from it, I think 
the fact that they're a below 500 team in the first quarter of the season is disappointing. So I would call it a disappointing first quarter of the season. But as I said, there's a caveat that they're pointed in a much better direction, which gives some optimism. I think a lot of optimism going into the second quarter of the season. And so that's, that's kind of the way I look at it is, yeah, it's disappointing. Had you told anybody in that room in early October, Hey, through 22, you're going to be below 500. I think they'd say, yeah, we, we don't want to be that. That would be disappointing. But as Wes said, if you were to tell them after two, seven and one, that you'll be nine, 10 and three in 12 games, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take that for sure. So I think that as, as a whole big picture, disappointing, but the good news is that they've done some things that they can build on going into this next quarter of the season. So that's, that's how I would sum it up. Yeah. And they're going to have to keep building. I mean, the truth is if they don't get the power play figured out and I'm not saying they have to be a 25% power play or even a 20% power play, but you can't be a 10% power play. <laughs> I mean, it's just not sustainable. You're going to have to, to win some special teams battles uh, to win some games and, They've got some tough ones coming up between now and Christmas. But you know, I think that's fair, Pat, to call the first 22 games a disappointment. But if you break it down, for me, the, the first 10 games were really disappointing. And the last 12 maybe surprising after a 2-7-1 and one start. But uh, they're looking a lot more like the team that I expected them to be. And when we had a chance to chat with Ryan Huska prior to the game on Monday, uh, asked him about the defensive zone because that was a big talking point earlier this season, the Flames moving from man-on-man to zone. And what he said was interesting is that the the NHL uh, tends to follow trends. And there are other teams in the league that have made that same change. And some teams have struggled more than other teams. And there are a number of teams still trying to figure it out. It looks to me like the Flames have figured it out. They have been a really good five-on-five team of late. Their penalty kill, the numbers are good but to me it's slipped a little bit so they're going to have to get that back on track and again the power play they're going to have to get that going and to be a a middle of the pack power play team for the remainder of the season if not better and i think they have the talent to do it it's it's a matter of execution Mm -hmm. i thought their power play looked pretty good last night so maybe a step in the right direction but Boy, it's been an interesting first 22 games. And you know, based on what uh, Eric Francis is reporting, uh, any trades have been put on hold. At least that's what uh, he believes. So uh, as we've all talked about, these next, what is it, down to 11 or 12 games before the Christmas break could uh, determine where this team goes short-term and long-term. And that makes sense. So let, let's see what this team is and then decide where you go from there. Um, I am curious if they had a deal for Nikita Zadorov tomorrow, if they'd pull the trigger on it. Just, I do wonder about that. Anyway, yeah, I that's digress. a little different one. Um, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Wes, Pat, on this Tuesday edition of the program. Um, who's been the best player? We're 22 games in. Who's their best player? Oh, I've been struggling with this one since you sent the topics, Pat, because there's no obvious choice for me. I think you can make strong cases for a number of guys, but there isn't one guy who, for me, is head and shoulders above the pack. So I had uh, to do a little digging into the stats. I, I don't know if you guys have already talked about this. I, I mean, normally I listen to Pat Steinberg 24-7, 365, but I've been busy doing some other things today. No, we have so. not. We, we saved it yeah. for this. We saved it for this conversation. Okay. So I'm not going off the board, although uh, some may think I'm going off the deep end. I'm going to go with Blake Coleman. 
Does that surprise you guys at all? Ben, he's been really good. It uh, it surprises me, and yet I wouldn't argue it. I, yeah, I, he leads the team in goals with six. Yeah. He is fifth in points with 12. I was leaning Nazem Kadri because he is second on the team in points with 14, but he's also minus nine. Blake Coleman is a team best plus seven. So we're talking about a guy who has kind of shifted back and forth from left wing to right wing. Now he's got a a great centerman in Michael Backlund. That certainly helps him. But Blake Coleman has been consistently good this season. I I think he might be playing the best hockey of his career. Uh, And if not, then I think he's playing the best that he has since he joined the Flames a few years ago. And he's a guy who on most nights uh, has to deal with tough matchups and way more defensive zone starts than offensive zone starts. And he's just been really consistently good for me. And again, I, I wouldn't dig my heels in on this one, but uh, I just couldn't come up with a better option, guys. I'll, uh, I'll just tell you from my conversation with, and I'm sure you've had a similar conversation with Blake Wilsey, but he definitely thinks he's playing the best hockey he's played in a Flames uniform. I don't know about during his career because he's so proud of those Stanley Cup runs with the Tampa Bay Lightning, as he should be, but certainly thinks this is the best he's played in a Flames uniform. I my my vote and, and I totally agree that it's it's a tricky one because there's not someone who who has really emerged from the pack, but I truly believe that Jacob Markstrom has been the best performer for this Flames team so far this season. I do think it's borderline criminal that he only has five victories to show for what I think ha- has been a really impressive bounce back. I, I do think some of those games during the losing streak could have been really bad if not for Markstrom. And I think he's continued to be the sort of backbone that you need your number one goalie to be as things have turned around. The numbers aren't going to blow you away. He's got a 901 save or sorry, a 901 save percentage yep. and a 293 goals against average. But I, I just think the sort of consistency of performance we've we've seen from Jacob Markstrom and especially backed up against how miserable last season was and and his self-admitted struggles to to find his confidence and, and feel like his usual self between the pipes. I you know for me it's been Jacob Markstrom so far. I uh, I thought about this one and and you know I. I... I think those are both like pretty solid, really solid entries. I just, uh, and maybe it's because of how important I think it is that this has happened, but I go Kadri just because it's, it's so important that he has turned his season around so dramatically because he, he is one of the two or three most important skaters on this team, not just from an offensive leadership standpoint, which he's part of, but the way he sets tones, his leadership, um, and and the fact that there are a lot of things that even skill-wise he brings to the table that you know a, a lot of other players on this team don't possess, like his ability to enter zones, his ability to carry pucks with speed between the blue lines. Like he's just he's got things that this team does not have a high supply of, and so. So the fact that after a pretty underwhelming October, I think he was their best player, no questions asked in November, Uh, the way that he helped elevate a couple of young players. And you can yell right back at me that they elevated him. And maybe there's, there's a yin and a a yang to it. There probably is. But I think that Nazem Kadri's turnaround is 
a big reason for Calgary's overall much better November. And I, I think that's super significant. So because of what it means, I go Kadri. And I really, again, like in, in what I thought was their biggest win of the season and their best win of the season against Vegas on Monday, I thought he was one of their two or three best players in that win. Picks up the primary on the Greer game tying goal, had all kinds of shots, was buzzing, was involved. When they broke up his line and put him with Greer and Dubé, he was still driving it. Um, and that was just another underlining of the type of really good month that we've seen from Kadri so far. Well, they say great minds think alike. So I just want to put it on the record that uh, the other two guys who I was strongly considering were Jacob Markstrom and Nazem Kadri. If you asked who the Flames' most valuable player has been this season, I would have said Jacob Markstrom. Because when they were trying to figure things out in the defensive zone, and they looked a lot like the team last year that didn't give up a lot of shots, but gave up a lot of high-danger chances, he bailed them out time and time again. And they wouldn't be where they are without Jacob Markstrom. There's no doubt about it. And as far as Nazem Kadri is concerned, I like that choice as well. I know that he only has four goals and 14 points. And that's one of the reasons why he's minus nine. But I also think he's been really snake bitten. Just look at his shooting percentage. He's at 6.1%. You would think that in the final 60 games of the season, that number would climb and uh, things would even out a little bit for him. He has played very consistently. Uh, he has looked a lot like the guy that we saw early last season and maybe getting a full off season helped uh, refresh him after a, a long run to uh, a Stanley cup in his last season with the avalanche, but looked like he kind of hit a wall in the back half of his first season with the flames. But you know, the, the three guys we're talking about, and I would say your choice is more than mine, but after almost every Flames game this season, certainly after almost every Flames win this season, I think you could argue that Jacob Markstrom and, and Nazem Kadri were amongst the team's top three or four players on those nights. So uh, you guys have kind of swung me a little bit. I've really liked Blake Coleman this season, and uh, he would be one of my top choices. But I think Kadri and Markstrom are, are great choices as well. Worth noting, we did have a vote on the text line for emerging fan favorite Dusty Nickel as well. Yep. <laughs> Hard to argue. I don't know. Has anybody... They're has, one and all with, with them. Has anybody um, had a uh, higher... I'm trying to think of the uh, politically correct and <laughs> non-offensive way of putting this. Has there been uh, more fear per 60 minutes in the NHL this year than Dusty <laughs> Nickel... <laughs> three different occasions on Monday night when Sportsnet's cause. So when I, when I sit in the press box, I always put the raw feed from the Sportsnet telecast on my, on my monitor, which is right up kind of to the left of my head. And so as soon as Vladar got crashed into by Carrier last night, I looked up and instantly director had right on to dusty nickel straight space. to dusty. Nickel. And I'm like, Look at him. He is like, he's <laughs> trying to keep it together. He's looking around, like not smiling, but like, Kind of like that sheepish look. You're like, oh my goodness. And 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 he told us post game on Monday night. I looked up at the clock and said, that's a long way to go. It was like 57 and a half minutes left in the game when that happened. Yeah. So. yeah. He looked about as comfortable in, in that two minutes as someone who goes to the game with a coworker and ends up on the kiss cam. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I, I probably didn't make a big enough deal about this in the broadcast last night. But what are you doing, William Carrier? Like, 
I can't help but to think that was intentional. I mean, he went crashing into him hard, knowing that the Flames' backup goaltender was an e-bug. So I have a hard time believing that he was, I'm going to go take out the opposing goalie and get the e-bug in. I have a hard time believing that, but do I think he could have done a better job avoiding him? Yeah, probably. Have you seen a bigger collision between a player and a goaltender this season? I guess it could just be a coincidence that it it happened to be in the first five minutes of a game where the Flames didn't have uh, a good backup with all due respect to to Dusty Nickel. Um, Maybe... I'd feel differently if Dustin Wolf was sitting on the bench, which he should have been. That's a conversation for another day. But, uh, yeah, an interesting start to the game. And uh, Jason LaBarbera brought up a, an excellent point on our postgame show last night, saying that Dan Vladar wasn't feeling great after that collision. And if he had kind of milked it trying to get a penalty call and maybe stayed on the ice, you wonder if he gets pulled out of the game by the concussion spotter. And if he does, you wonder where that game goes from there. So, uh, kudos to Dan Vladar for sucking it up and fighting through, uh, getting clobbered and shaken up and playing one heck of a hockey game. Maybe his best as a member of the Flames. Like what uh, Dan said in the locker room as well, that Noah Hannafin was like, you got to get up. We've got an e-bug <laughs> yeah. on the bench. <laughs> right, whatever you think you're doing, don't. Get, get up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, talk to you tomorrow, Wilsey. Thank you. Okay, guys, have a good night. That's uh, Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour. Uh, Thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers. And that'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.